Today's podcast is brought to you by geese. Geese. Fuck geese. Because geese can fuck off. They're horrible. They bite you. They're loud. They shit. They... And of course, right when I decide to start this, basically this phone call is a fucking goose. I'll be right back. And I'm back. And that was, you know, me having to go help people, which I'm always happy to do. I'm always happy to be nice. And go help. You know, something like that. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what anything is anymore, guys. What the fuck is real? You know, reality is this funny thing that seems like it's super tangible and all around us. And we can reach out and we can touch it and we can smell it and we can taste it. And uh, all of those things are true. (laughs) And then they're all mediated by your brain. And your brain is really good at uh, getting the sensory inputs it needs to function and keep you alive, but you're not aware of any of it. And most of your actual awareness, moment to moment, um, is your brain just kind of like tricking the conscious part of your awareness side of you into thinking that everything is coherent and linear and uh that your brain when you're focusing on something your brain's paying attention the other time or like when you're watching a movie or you're driving your car or playing bass or whatever you're doing you're you're thinking you know your real-time awareness is that i'm fully involved in this thing and i'm paying all, all my attention to it and i'm seeing everything there is to see and our eyes are faulty and there's blind spots and our ears don't actually uh, pick up on every sound, but our brains do real good jobs at filling in the gaps. So they're prediction machines. They're, 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 they're ahead of our realization. They're predicting what we're going to need to make the moment feel complete. Our brain is and filling in any gaps in our actual sensory awareness the physical act of sensing, not our not our comprehension of the sensing, not the storyline that we're being painted as we just fucking exist inside a fucking meat suit. No, no, the actual eyes picking the photons bouncing off of the lava lamp I'm staring at from the lamp above it and bouncing off of it in a way in the in the pattern spectrum to go in and pick be picked up individual photon by photon in my rods and cones. Um, because there's electrons in the air, uh, that they bounce off of to excite them. All of that is happening. And my eyes are picking this up and sending these fucking warbly wobbly data packets of information, uh, into my, you know, your optical nerve and everything like that to be processed by the brain, to be turned into an image, to be then fed to your conscious thought for me to go, oh yeah, I am continuously just staring at this lava lamp. Oh, look, a little bubble starting to pop up and it's going, and if I bet I listened hard enough, I could hear it. 
None of that's actually happening, though, in, in the, the smoothness and the granularity we, we like to think we exist at. And uh, where was I going with this? I had a point. Oh, what is real? <laughs> I'll tell you what's real. This is what's, this is what's fucking real, regardless of if my brain is, t is piecing it together or not. Um, yeah, I just had to, I just had to play one of those games with myself where I admit, I admit the sunken cost fallacy. I admit the fact that I have been holding on to something far longer because of my time put into it. Uh, and it here's what happened everybody i know if you've been listening to this podcast a long time or you don't or you haven't um i have i bought when i first moved to oregon a couple months a couple years after oregon i moved here um i bought a 1975 volkswagen beetle this was in like 2015 or something like that 2014 2015 i can't remember 20 2015 i bought a 75 volkswagen beetle the floors were all rotted out bunch of rust everywhere it hadn't ran since the 2000s you know it'd been parked well over i mean basically 10 years um yeah it was it was in rough shape and i bought it for 500 bucks and i went this is going to be fucking awesome. I know exactly what I want to do to it. Freshen the engine up, not go anything crazy. It's air-cooled, be cheap. I want to chop the top. I want to lower it, and I want to make a fucking rat rod out of it. And I started well on that project. Oh, did I? I pulled the body off the, the, the chassis, replaced all the floor pans, got seats out of a Honda to make it bucket seats to extend. I did everything. I chopped the roof. I... I custom hood uh i did a lot of work metal work to this car and it was at my work and years ago now my work told me um you can no longer keep your car at our shop anymore you got to find somewhere to put it and i hadn't been working on it as much as i wanted to because i'm kind of the point where i um I'm kind of to the point where I need to actually spend, like, I can't go buy a 50 bucks in metal and, you know, do a hundred man hours of work to cut the roof and, and, or, you know, do whatever I'm doing, uh, cosmetically to the car, structurally to the car. It's the point where I need to do things like, you know, buy rims and tires, uh, front disc brake conversion, uh, actual engine components, you know, pistons, crankshafts, sleeves, uh, things like that you know hard parts gauges um to make this car actually start to be able to breathe fucking fire and i was at that point and so i was like okay planning it and then i had to move the car to the house and so i bought this tiny little carport uh you know little harbor freight fucking 18 foot long carport plenty of room for my fucking little bug to fit in and we moved it home and i put it back there and I didn't fucking touch it. Man, I did a couple things. I did a couple things. I did a little more body work. Um, 
started planning the dashboard because I was like, well, I can get the metal work for the dashboard done and fit for gauges. I can do, you know, there's shit I can do. I uh, started getting ready for exhaust and turbo because I was going to turbo it. I guess I can say it wasn't going to it would be a little more than freshened up, but um, yeah. And then I, you guys, I just like everything, like this podcast last year, like it just, I felt like in my head, the feeling I had was I'm taking out of my shop where all my real tools are, where air power is, where I can sit here and spend 15 minutes and do something. I'm now taking it and putting it out in my backyard behind the house, covering up with a tarp so it's not nice or, and it doesn't get uh, wet. And I felt like I was burying it. I felt like I was just putting it in and, uh, you know, it was strapped to the fucking a ventilator and, uh, you know, the, the brain activity was being, was gone, but the, the body was being kept alive by machines. And, um, yeah, so there it sat and and then which you guys have heard if you've been listening recently. When Christmas happened, we were told that we had to move out of this house. And that meant, what the fuck am I going to do with my car? And I got to sell it. That's 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 the, the bottom line, and I admitted that to myself today. And I um, went out and cleaned up some stuff, took some pictures of it, and put it online to sell. And I'm doing the responsible thing and not valuing any of my time or my effort that I spent it or the hundreds and hundreds of dollars in metal and floor pans and everything else I did to uh, get this car ready for glass and get ready for paint and uh, you know, interior and things like that. Um, I'm not going to count any of that toward the monetary value. And I'm going to sell it in less complete shape than what I bought it for, but less rusty also for 500 bucks. Everything, uh, you know, take it. It's yours. 500 bucks. I, uh, it's a passion gone guys is really what I'm feeling. It's, it's saying that I had this drive to do something and I was going to, you know, I was, and then God damn, 10 years goes by almost, almost 10 years go by. And I think to myself now, dude, you couldn't finish a car build in 10 years. What the fuck were you waiting for? Like what, what were you waiting for? 10 years you could you can go on fucking youtube right now Aaron. you watch them all the time vice grip garage that guy's fucking great if you want to watch some some real good content vice grip garage is a dude named derek who goes out and finds barn fine cars and gets the engines running on the spot most of the time and then drives them hundreds of miles home and i spent 10 years not finishing a fucking car a beetle, no less. And I did the hard part. I cut the roof off of that motherfucker. I cut the doors in half 
and welded it all back together with someone who's not a very good welder. So the doors close perfectly and every fucking door gap's the same. And I did all that. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't finish it. I mean, fuck, even this episode is is five, four days too late. You know, I wanted this to be out Monday. It's Thursday. I'm recording and it'll, it'll be out tonight so you can hear it. But, um, I, you know, how do I, how do I live without you? That's, <laughs> that's what my brain does. Um, I just, ha- yeah, it's, it's gone guys. So I sold it. I was trying to be sad. Maybe this would be sadder. Yeah, that was sad. It sounds like crying. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to delay, you know, delay the inevitable. No, I, I did. I took pictures. I posted it. Put it online to sell. But but the, here's the reason I, I had to do it fast. Because we got a house. We're not buying a house, we're renting a house. But we found another place to live. And that's fucking awesome. And it's nice. And it's not from a fucking rental company. It's from a, the, the owner of the house. We've met him. He's great. Uh, signed the lease and all that shit. Uh, and so we, we've been moving stuff over there. Moving in slowly. And we got a month to be out of the house we're in and into the new one that we're in also. Um, so, you know, I got to get this fucking car out of my life. Can't have it at the new spot. No room for it. And if I just drag it over there with all the moving costs and everything, I know I won't be touching it for at least another six months. And then I'll have to do it. And I just I can't I can't feasibly say that that's money I, I need to be spending, you know, on, on what? On a car that I'll have to repair all this stuff as it slowly breaks because it's a fucking rat rod that I'll be spending gas on and extra stuff when it doesn't run right because I didn't, you know, I tried to be cheap. Whatever it is, whatever it fucking is, you know, I can't, I can't justify that, that money. Why am I venting all of this to you? Um, oh, maybe because it's my podcast, Aaron, and you can actually uh, tell people when you're having a hard time instead of just hide it. Oh, yeah, that's right, Aaron. Thanks. Oh, hey, no problem, man. You guys ever had those conversations with yourself? That little reality check moment? The the moment where you ask yourself permission to give yourself... Uh, you ask yourself for permission... To then give yourself permission to like feel bad or acknowledge it <coughs> or, uh, you know, be sad. Because I think I am. I'm sad. I'm sad the car's leaving my life. I'm sad. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little sad I'm moving out of this house, man. I've spent nine years inside this house uh five of them on this microphone in various locations in this house in the studio 
bringing you all uh, my fucking voice. And it... It's tough, you know. It truly is tough. Why did I get a buzz all of a sudden? I don't know. Maybe that's better. I can't tell. I can't tell at all. What is what is real? Did I already say that? Is this all a fucking dream? Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But the new house is going to be cool. Be able to have a another room very comparable in size to this room uh, that I'm in now for the new studio. But I'll have to have less stuff in here, which will be the fucking bee's knees. Um, what else? It has a full fucking basement, which I am so stoked for. So stoked for. In my 36 years on this planet, I have never, ever, ever lived in a house with a basement. Most of my friends' houses didn't have basements. A couple of them did. That was always cool. A lot had crawl spaces where you could, like, go down and there's plastic sheeting on rocks. And so you have to be careful crawling and putting your knee on a fucking little pebble and digging into your kneecaps. Or, or you know, where depending on how high the crawl space was, you're either at an uncomfortably, like, bent over walking slash, like, hobbling height or you're on your knees and moving slow or like there's no tram systems there's no tracks and carts like a little mining operation underneath those things ways to get around i don't know who these fucking crawl space people are who think i mean imagine the money upselling for a a crawl a house building company if if you know you're going to be building a fucking a wet crawl space where it's vapor barrier and shit but it's exposed ground underneath of your house on the foundation and you know that there's like a fucking hot water heater down there or the well or something else stupid that you're going to have to go to at some point in time to fucking check or replace. Why aren't houses in those places built with little fucking mining carts on little wreck track systems that just fucking run around on the ground and you can sit down there and get a little stick like an Italian boy in a little fucking boat on the Rome in Italy on Venice, you know, the, the little white stripey red, red, red and white stripey shirt dudes with the hats and the mustaches that, uh, bring fancy English people with a little bit too much wine and, uh, pasta in them to, you know, on their water so they can go, Oh, look at all the houses. I've never been there. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know at all what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, no, you can just push yourself around with a stick on tracks under the house. You know how fucking cool that would be? Adult trains. I mean, you upgrade them, you know, put little motors on them, put little, you know, you need a brake, you need all this stuff. Your husbands would be down there forever. I know I'd be, but this one has a full basement. I can stand up. I can walk around in it. And not half, I can't jump because there's beams and things like that. And depending on where the light fixture is, it might be hanging a little low. Um, but cement, 
It's fucking awesome. I have full basement band practice down there, workout equipment down there. Uh, fuck, you could even roller skate if you were short enough and, and had roller skates and came over and went down in my basement. Um, that's, that's a creepy, I can tell people to go down in my basement. Here's what I'm super stoked for though. Uh, that not only will I have like my nice podcast studio and music studio upstairs, um, to do that, but it's right next to the, the doors to go downstairs where my amplifiers are and it, it will not be too terribly difficult at all. In fact, this is how I'm going to make it designed to be able to have music happening downstairs and record it from upstairs. I think I'll be able to get the way so I can actually get like my amp mic down in a fucking basement and get like basement sounds, you know, play all types of shit down there, amplify, get cool shit. Um, and, you know, depending on how I want to rig it, how uh, fancy with this I want it. See, this is money I would rather spend on doing this shit than on a fucking car. I hate it. I, I Why did I choose to build a car? I was tr- Here's what it was. I was trying to convince myself that, <coughs> you know, I moved to a new city. <coughs> I'm this hip, like, 25, 26, almost 30-year-old. And I was, uh, I mean, goddamn, guys. At 26, I was... Only six years removed from going to car school and being like a fully invested car culture guy. I have a Chevy tattoo and I don't even own one because I was such a car culture kid. And I think I wanted to fucking tell myself that I still was. And, you know... I, w- I was trying to do something that would stand out. I wanted to stand out. I think coming to a town, you're a small fish in a big pond. And, you know, if you look like all the other fish, you, you blend in. Uh, I don't look like all the other fish. I'm fucking giant and I'm big red beard and I'm pasty. But, you know, when you're in a car, they can't tell you're 6'8". And what's even funnier is if you're in a lowered chop top Volkswagen Beetle, which is already tiny enough, and then you get out of it and you're almost twice the height of the car, uh, that was the illusion I was going for. Um, But yeah, now I got to sell it. Get rid of it. Uh, It's pretty cool. If you guys are in Portland and you want a bug, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, what else is new? I think that it is a, I think it's time for change. I think change is going to be awesome. I think change, uh, not only where I'm living, the routine, the streets I have to drive, the things I have to look at, the part of town I'm going to get used to now, um, you know, the mental game, the uh, it, it just just a, 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 the next level of adaptation and adaptation forces change uh, when the change isn't resisted. And that's what I have to work on is not resisting that change. 
I think that's something that I, most people listening probably can relate to in some facet. So I'm, I, that's why I'm kind of keeping repeating it. Not only do I need to hear it, but I think it's important for all people to hear. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. How am I? Oh, like 20 minutes. You know what? I'm going to do something else that I'm going to allow myself to do. At the moment, I'm sitting here going, I want another piece of cookie. Piece of cookie. I want another I want another cookie with frosting on it. And I am feeling like I'm pressing myself to keep talking. But I'm not done talking. I'm just not done right now talking. And I've been going 20 minutes. And, you know, it's like a break. It's a little break. Um, so I'll be back. Check, check. Check one, two. Hmm. Oh my gosh, guys. Um, so I just, I just got back from my little mission, went and helped uh, my niece pick up a bed. Literally, I picked up a bed with my hands. Well, actually, they, it was my arms, my hands held the bed, but my arms and my back probably did most of the lifting and my legs. Don't worry. I used proper form. I squatted. My hips were underneath my spine. It was all erect. <laughs> and I... I picked up a bed and a mattress and stuff and carried it, loaded it in the back of a truck. Luckily, it was like literally in my neighborhood, so I just had to put on my shoes and my coat and walk two and a half blocks away, which was good for me because I did not want to drive again tonight. Uh, You know, all that good stuff. I think I just figured something out. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like the fucking riff from Beck, uh, Loser. What the fuck is going on? You, you can't hear me? Oh, oh, that's, oh, that's hilarious because of the fucking sound cut that this goddamn app does. Okay, well, I figured out, I'm pretty sure, it it sounds great on this side, Uh, the fucking, in the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey, butane in my veins, and I'm out to cut the junk, what, God, uh, yeah, in the time of chimpanzees, I was a monkey, butane in my veins, and I'm out to cut the junkie with the plastic eyeballs, spray paint the vegetables, the dog food stalls with the beefcake pantyhose, kill the headlights and put it in neutral, uh, stock car flaming with the loser and the cruise control, babies in Reno with the vitamin D, got a couple of couches, I sleep on the love seat, 
someone something with a saying to complain about a shotgun wedding and a stain on my shirt. Don't believe everything that you breathe. You get a parking violation and a maggot on your sleeve. So shave your face with some mace in the dark, saving all your food stamps and burning down the trailer park. Yo, cut it. So why don't you kill me? So you non perido. I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me? Double barrel buckshot. My favorite one is when he goes, uh, getting crazy with the cheese whiz. That's my favorite little fucking ad lib in that song. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the. Uh, uh, well, God, what is that? Um, uh, uh, hold on, Let me, I gotta think now. Second verse, second verse. I used to know this whole fucking thing in like eighth grade. I could recite this whole fucking thing. Um, uh, you, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's uh, you, you, you can't write if you can't relate. Trade the cash for the beat, for the body, for the hate, with the time. And my time is a piece of wax falling on a termite who's choking on the splinters. Yeah, that's the that's the end of that one. That one's funny because he says that, like something about a uh, day crab folk singer slob who hung himself on a guitar string. Uh, this a turkey neck hanging from a pigeon wing. I don't know. That one's fucking. That one's funny. That, the second verse is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I I knew that I, I knew that um hold on talk. Oh, you know what's funny? This isn't hearing you either. Okay, that talk now. Hello, hello. Oh yeah, now it's working. Fuck. So, uh, everybody, this is this is how every this is how it's been. This is how it's been. I got back. I'm gonna leave that in, and it's gonna no one's gonna hear you. It's gonna be me having a one sided conversation <laughs> for that whole bit. And then all of a sudden, hello, hello, and then it'll hear you. Oh, God. Okay, I'm putting the bass down. Putting the bass down. And here people thought you were just losing your mind in front of a microphone. Like, ad-libbing, you know, Bex loser. Trying to, like, convince yourself across from yourself. Like, I know this song. I swear I do. And people are just like... Who the fuck is he talking to? Yeah, because then you said the ter- the Somebody's choking here. on the termite splinters line. You brought that up, and then it w- it would have been just me waiting and listening in silence. And oh yeah, that line. It's um, and it oh that's gonna sound so funny. I'm gonna leave all that just like it, it happened too. Someone's gonna hear that and go, yeah. "What the fuck is happening to his brain?" Ironically oh. enough, because we were talking about Fight Club the other day. Oh um, yeah. I imagine that's how everybody in Fight Club actually experienced the narrator right there, where he's, like, pretending to talk to Tyler Durden. And in reality, they just experienced what you just experienced, which is a dude talking to himself. Completely. nobody said shit, and they just went with it. Yeah, but—and just like me, 
in inside my head, I completely heard your voice clear responding. Yeah. I didn't know it was coming next, but to everybody listening to our show, uh, yeah, they heard me being or the narrator of Fight Club listening to Tyler or li- uh, me being Tyler Durden, actually not Jack listening to the, uh, fucking what's his face <laughs> character. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't bring I didn't talk about that on the podcast that idea that I heard. I haven't. Oh, that's said a it. fascinating one, actually. If you actually, st- I thought about that the other day too, because it came back in my brain. Um, because I got my free Audible credit, and I I really debated whether I wanted to actually like go the route of listening to somebody read to me Fight Club instead of you know trying to track down a paperback version or something and actually read it again. Because right. it's one of those books that, like, I read it when I was 19, then I read it when I was, like, 25, and now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, let me see if I, how much different of a perspective from, you know, who I used to be to who I am now versus who I'm going to become later, you know, because exactly. I do that with movies as well, and uh, so if you took the book entirely away, because if people were listening, if they don't know uh, Fight Club the differences between... Yeah. Yeah, oh, the well, they don't know the differences between the book and the film. So if you took this theory that he's about to lay down on you at just film merit and film canon, it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, the basic of the premise is this. in there's There's the twist that we're given in the film, which is the narrator, uh, Edward Norton's character, is making up Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden. Spoiler yeah, spoiler. Yeah, if if fuck if if they haven't already seen fucking Fight Club, get over it. Um, then you haven't seen Bambi. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Um, well, <laughs> my favorite Bambi is the one at the beginning, of Godzilla 1985, where if his fucking right. foot comes down and crushes <laughs> Bambi, which just kills him. Oh yeah, that's my fucking favorite. Um, okay, so that's the that's like the twist that you don't see coming right when you watch fight club is that the changeover of yeah and all of a sudden he realizes well here's the 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 theory i heard i did not make this up myself but i've done a lot of thinking about it since and it's really hard to refute with anything in the movie to negate this the, Again, if we remove anything you might have known from the book, yeah, if you have read it, yeah, remove it. Yeah, you have Go strictly from the film. Right. This right. kind of makes a little bit of sense, uh, if not a lot more. The sense. the the whole idea is, um, that everyone, Marla, bitch tits Bob, Ty, uh, Tyler Dirt, well, uh, Jack, um. All of Project Mayhem, all of it, is all a part of a psychotic break that he has. All of it is. And he's living in this double life swing where sometimes he's him. Edward Norton's character, in this theory, his actual name in the movie is Tyler Durden. That is the name of Edward Norton. His real life explain character. Why, explain why he's really Tyler Durden this whole time. And Jack 
is and made Jack up. is made up, right? Um, because they give you a few clues in the movie that he has to be Tyler Durden when he starts coming to and finding records of all these plane flights happening all over the country for quote unquote starting Project Mayhem all over the country. Um, it is actually business trips from his company that he works for paid because his name is Tyler. So they have plane tickets and he, and even in the thing he goes, you're getting false, false checks and plane tickets or, or these, you know, uh, for, however that saying went when he's doing the walkthrough of his thing, they even explained to him that is. And if you look at the tickets in the film and pause it, when they show the close-ups, they say Tyler, Durden it has the name Tyler Durden on it. It doesn't right. have Jack's real name on it. No. And so the only logical sense, like, inside of the movie is that his name is Tyler and he his company is paying him that's why he has the checks with Tyler Durden's name on him it's not like he made up a fake alias like knowing that what you would have to explain is knowing if only jet if only Tyler uh Brad Pitt's character was fake and that wasn't real then then our then Edward Norton's character would have to be making up a fake alias, get all of the paperwork and all that stuff to be <coughs> making a whole fake name, not only employed through his company as a fake name, but also flying under a fake name to do all of this. When far more easily he is his name is Tyler Durden. He's employed by the company as Tyler Durden, and he flies from his company as that name. Um, he, you know he has. In the beginning of the movie, he's having a visit with a doctor. He goes to uh, cancer support groups. And my guess is, and the guess of this theory is, is he got told that he has testicular cancer. And he has a mental breakdown because he's afraid of losing his manhood. So he first invents, with his in his mind, he actually invents Bob. Robert Paulson first. He invents that character first in the timeline. And he, as Robert Paulson, the, the feminized version of masculinity, goes to these meetings, right? So sometimes, sometimes it's Tyler himself going to these meetings, and sometimes it's his split personality, Robert Paulson. This is all in his head. Then he invents Marla Singer. And Marla Singer is his escape to keep his manhood. She's twisted. Oh, you're writing it? No, I was saying, uh, look what I showed you. I tracked oh. that down from a movie prop uh, auction place. Those are the actual tickets yeah, that exactly. Edward Norton held up. And they say Tyler Durden. Yep, yep, from Bradford to Salt Lake and Bradford to Phoenix, of course. Um, and so, so then he invents Marla Singer and that's his escape to still kind of feel like a man because he can, he, that's his fantasy of a, of a kind of woman in this time period he's in. And so he invents her and then he invents Jack, Brad Pitt's character. And that is the toxic male side, the, the mod, the machismo fight, don't flight 
fuck it all in the face of everything, you know, just fuck it, throw it to the wind person that that Tyler isn't, but he wants to be part of him wants to be that character. And so then then you have to ask questions like, okay, well, what about the house on Paper Street? Well, (laughs) the house on Paper Street is not real. It's a figment of his imagination. The all of the cooking and making soap out of there, the whole soap company isn't real because Jack's not real. Um, the business card he showed in the airplane says Paper Street Soap Company. Um, having something on Paper Street is a colloquialism for something not being real. So it, it all plays into the fictitious place in his mind. Okay, so where was he? Could have been making straw hats and it could have been straw man papers. Of course. And the so, idea of is it's goof, not a... It's, yes. Yeah. And, and so... And then you go, okay, well, where was he living? Well, if you notice, he visits Marla, and Marla lives in a motel room. She's living at a motel. Well, in reality, it's Tyler living in the motel. That's actually where he lives through all of this. He's having a psychotic break in this motel room where he lives. He's not wanting to believe that he's stuck there in a living in a motel room because of a, a actual tragedy with his apartment because he just had tech cancer and so he explains a way that to 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 make him not live there Marla lives there and he can detest her and and be attracted to her at the same time um you never see Marla or uh any time that Marla or Brad Pitt's character, I'm going to call him Jack, are in the same room, they never interact with each other. They're almost never in the movie in the same room. Anytime Edward Norton and one of the characters are together in a scene and there are other people in the scene, whoever the, 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 the other people, whether he's in a support group or anything, whoever they're paying attention to is the character, is the personality of Tyler that he's being at that time. There are plenty of scenes where it's him and Marla together. The, the, the people are talking to Marla and they're not paying attention to Edward Norton. He's kind of like third person watching on as Marla's doing this and experiencing like, because he says that in the film. Sometimes I, sometimes you pretend you're me. Sometimes you pretend you're watching me. Yes. And And if you take that logic further, he could even say sometimes you're other people pretending to watch us right and exactly and and if he's actually tyler in the thing and he's the one interacting with real world people they never ever look at marla they never pay attention to her they never do anything it's like she doesn't exist when he is tyler but when marla's active tyler isn't existing he's not being paid attention to he's just in the background same thing with jack um uh, you can explain away. Um, ooh, here's another good one. Um, in in the movie, he 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 is struggling now with three people in his head. He has three alternate personalities other than himself. Oh, here's another thing. This is a perfect explanation for how Marla is his alternate personality. He doesn't drink coffee in the movie. He doesn't drink coffee because he suffers from insomnia. Now he insomnia insomnia comes on. After the catastrophe. And that's because he invents Marla at that time. Marla is an avid coffee drinker. Everywhere she is, she's she's drinking straight black coffee. 
everyone else in the movie has Starbucks. It's very ad placement, kind of how uh, consumerism is shoved down your face when you don't know it. Everyone's carrying Starbucks cups. Marla's drinks white cup black coffee all the time. Well, because she's going to meetings all the time, right? She's an at, she says herself, she's an avid meeting goer too. And she goes, she gets off on it. And so she, when he is not himself and he, he doesn't remember being Marla. It is a complete split of personality. She's pounding coffee. And then when he's himself, he's laying there awake going, God, why can't I fall a fucking sleep? That's because he drank 30 cups of coffee that day. Then when she leaves in the movie for a while, he tells her to get the fuck out and she leaves for a while, i.e. he doesn't split. He quits having insomnia because he stops drinking coffee for long enough for the caffeine to get out of his system and he goes back to sleep normal. As soon as she comes back, back to insomnia again. It is completely correlated in, throughout the entire movie. Um, he has to start killing off these alternate personalities. Bob is the only one of the thing to be shown died and given any attention to in the movie. And Bob dies from a head wound, a head, a shot, a gunshot to the head, the exact same way that Jack dies from a gunshot to the head at the end, because it is symbol symbolic of that headshot killing that personality. When Bob dies, he no longer needs Bob in his life, in in his mind to keep it running, you know he's taken over by Project Mayhem, and Jack is so such a strong voice in his head now. He's getting all like he no longer needs that feeling of Bob anymore. So Bob dies. That first alter no longer makes sense. It's the first to actually go. It's yes. not stable in this case, and it explains why. When, when, when he, because all of Project Mayhem's rule, when he's traveling to all the other chapters, it's how they all know his name because everyone is in his brain and everyone in his brain who's made up knows who Robert Paulson is because he was a fucking character of his, like, you know, Edward Norton was actually walking around as Robert Paulson. It was one of his splits. Like, so that, and if you only interacted with him as Robert Paulson in Tampa, Orlando, Denver, and you never interacted with say, Jack trying to find Tyler and while he's there inadvertently starting a fight club because he was trying to find one. Well, but none, the fight club wasn't real. The fight club wasn't another... real. There was no real fight club. There well, wasn't. But the... that's just it though. Is is everywhere he went, he knew there was one. But he didn't. Well, that is well, the same yeah, right, mentality. Right. But he not. But he never sees proof that it's there. He just imagines okay. that in all these cities when he's on work trips. He's imagining well, starting like, all this stuff to like keep the rebellion in his mind going to keep him away from the inevitability that he has fucking testicular cancer. Right. And that's why Bob exists in the first place is because the first thing he says is Bob really was dying. Yes. It's his brain splitting and having a sense of denial from reality by personifying I'm not dying. Bob's Bob dying. A hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. I get you. Um, and and that logic plays down and works down for everything. Oh, uh, another great point. Another great thing to analyze that all this is in his head. Um, there are points in the movie when they are harvesting the fat liposuctioned out of models for to make soap with. Um, yeah. When they're when they hop over the fence before the fucking bag breaks, the dumpster they're pulling it out of is 
human waste, right? He is digging yeah. through human waste because that's inevitably what he feels about himself. Yeah. And later, when him and Marla are leaving the hotel room or the motel room and she's yelling back at the cops, hey, that crazy bitch is in there. She's just a pile of human waste or whatever she said. The only people digging in the trash can were Jack and Tyler. Marla, who is actually Edward Norton running from his own motel room, yelling back about Marla in there, his other personality, who he thinks is real. Your human waste. The only reason Marla ever would have said that line is if she knew about the fucking dumpster they dug in because it was expressive of what Jack said about Marla. (laughs) Because on some unconscious, subconscious level. It is all in the back of every alter's brain, everything that he does. It's, and the, it, it's he the same uses brain. It to further enhance the delusion that he's important in a world where he's insignificant, he's dying. He doesn't even have this weird love triangle where no. uh, he uh. has this, he doesn't have this version of himself or, yeah. Like, when are it, the only times? When, when are the only times in the movie that Jack and Marla interact? When they fuck. Well, the Tyler, you mean? Well, in Brad Pitt's character. In the Brad but, Pitt's character. Well, yeah. well here's the thing: Bra- the only time Brad Pitt's character and Marla f- interact is when they fuck. But they're clashing the entire time. It gets all weird and shaky, and the camera's all weird. Now they said, even the line. There's the line. What is it? Um, something something is masturbation or uh, a. Self-improvement is masturbation. Self-improvement. So self-destruction. Right, right. So yeah, that, that line. Well, if, if it's all happening in his head and the, the clash of his altars are like it's, 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 it's starting to, you know, go haywire in his brain, keeping it all segregated. Yeah. Um, and they don't like to meet each other, then yeah. when when they do is literally him masturbating. Yeah. And he's dissociating from the act of himself pleasuring himself because he has testicular cancer. He hates the fact right. that he may, you know, the thing that brings him pleasure is the thing that is killing him. Yeah. And so he dissociates from that moment by making his other two altars in his head have sex with each other. And that's, and, and that is instability for his brain trying to keep all three of them separate and all the lives of them existing in the, the stasis that they had been. Right. Okay. So I only have one problem with the theory though. Yo, lay it on me. Is, is I think that the characters being portrayed by the actors are actually the characters portrayed by the actors. I don't mean like the theory doesn't exist. I mean, I think Edward Norton's character, while his name is Tyler Durden, I think he sees Brad Pitt as a personification of who he'd like to be. 100%. Right? Yeah. But he's invisible. 
Like, Brad Pitt is the invisible, idealized version of who Tyler Durden really would like to be if he wasn't dying of cancer, if he didn't he didn't yeah. have a bald spot forming, if he didn't fucking, you know, if he didn't look like Edward Norton in that film. Yeah, yeah. And any time... you look at Edward Norton, he progressively does look like he's getting worse, like he's dying of cancer. Yes. And in... With, I mean, that, that, I think that actually lays into it. It is, it is exactly his personification of it. He sees them as a completely other person. And, and the reason that the Brad Pitt alter the idealized version of himself, it basically breaks that, that sense of surprise, bitch, we're the same person. And he doesn't even go so far as to say, we're all you. Right. But what he does is he says is the the reason that he has the confidence to sit across him and say, I look this way because you want to look this way. I do this shit because you'd like to do this shit. And the reason that he's the sense of self that would tell himself, you're you, you I don't want to be you any more than you'd like to be me kind of shit. But the reality is, is we are the same. Mm hmm. And that is what his failure to, I got to protect Marla. And that kind of hilarious Brad Pitt reaction of, what are you doing? Right. Well, because in truth, he's protecting he's it. protecting another piece of himself in that. Yeah. Like it. Another part of the lie. Right. Because still, by the end of the film, he still has one delusion holding his hand, nursing him. Yeah. Buying into the fact that he's not actually dying. Right. Right. You yeah. Marla's the still thing at the that's end left. of the day, yeah. he gets rid of the idealized sense of self. And he might get to be getting closer to the realization that you're not real. Mm-hmm. I'm alone and I'm dying. Yep. And that's the part you don't see in the that's, film. Right. That's what's right. in the book. Yeah. The and what's chapter. weird is at the very end of the book is he wakes up in a hospital talking to a psychiatrist, asking about all the crazy shit that he did. And then even then, later on in the book, uh, as he's going away, like being wheeled out, he's imagining that the orderlies, who may very well be orderlies in real life, wheeling him to his fucking hospital room, his psych room, are members, he's projecting the delusion that they're there to set him free. Don't worry, Mr. Durden, you're safe with us. Right. You know? Yeah. Because that's how the book actually ends, is... The orderlies presumably are Project you know, Mayhem, right? Mem- Project Mayhem that it still continues. Of course, but if yeah. it's all in his mind, that doesn't. Then exist. you would be projecting onto people just to reinforce that last shred of fantasy. 100%. I get you. And the reality, perhaps, that he's not—he's not even a psych room. What he is is he's delirious from you know cancer. It's gone from his brain or his testicles to his brain. You know, even I mean, he could. He could be just dying at that point. Oh, sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, it's it's completely fascinating. I think I I what I haven't done yet is gone back and actually rewatched the film in I haven't I yeah, haven't I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, watched, I haven't done it either. I haven't watched Fight Club in probably maybe a decade. Yeah, when I painted a that table, I think was the last time I watched that film because I had to watch it so many times to kind of like yeah, I didn't. For some reason, I I don't know. I felt like I needed to absorb it to paint it. Yeah, you know? I don't know. and it's a beautiful it's... film. It's a it's a near masterpiece for that time in cinema 
2000-ish. Because um, it's David Fincher. That guy doesn't make bad films. He's so OCD. Mm-hmm. I, I would hate to actually have how his brain works. Yeah, it's nuts, man. Um, but yeah, so that's my theory, everybody. And with that, I'm going to let you go ponder on that. Uh, you know, comment. Let me know what you think. Watch the movie again. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me. Here's what I want from anybody. If anybody's going, Aaron, you're full of shit. That show me a time when a character interacts with both Edward Norton's character and Marla in the same scene at the same time, or it's a moment in there where both Jack and Edward Norton are being interacted and talked to by a person who's real, not a member. I'm not now. A member of Project Mayhem can be talking to them both because they're fake also. I'm talking about someone in a support group, someone who is representing a part of Tyler's real life where another split of his is in present in the same room. It only happens a handful of times. A lot of the time in Paper Street and all that is him in my brain. That's him sitting in his motel room by him fucking self. I believe the only person that you actually really see him interact with for sure is his boss when he snaps. I think that's somebody he doesn't create because by going batshit at work and doing that, his boss is terrified and coerced into giving into the black man. Of course. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah. He absolutely freaks out at work. There's not a question he freaks out at work. But I'm just saying when he's in when he's doing anything in the house or Paper Street or any of that stuff, my my thought is he's just there sitting in his fucking motel room, hating his fucking existence in his head, fantasizing it all. Walking around as you know, when he goes to meetings, he's going to meetings as either Bob or Marla or himself. Um, you know, uh, he may go out and walk around the town and go do that stuff. I believe he absolutely goes as Jack or as him. He goes to the bar and drinks as himself or as Jack. You know, he's doing those things. But I, I just I just need to see something that would would prove the opposite. I need to now see evidence that goes, this is actually proof that they're not his imagination, that all of this is, is legit. I do. I would love to hear somebody try and explain how Lou is real or isn't real. I think Lou might also be real because he finds a dude after hours for some reason in his bar basement and goes to beat the fuck out of him and it doesn't go the way it's supposed to and therefore he's like whatever you crazy fuck and leaves this one guy in his basement lou okay because the bar that they do uh you know the fights in in the bottom you know who i'm lou who the fuck are you you know yeah yeah Okay, Lou may but, be Lou may be a real person, but then you would need to see Lou. Yeah, I, I okay, that's interesting. Maybe his maybe his doctor who's trying to give him advice for you know the doctor's real. Yeah, all that stuff yeah, is real life, of course. All that stuff's real but life. Um, these are all one time characters. You guys have to keep in factor. You only see them once. Any key reoccurring person that feeds into the project mayhem. I'm better than just myself and right. I'm a, I'm not an, 
I'm not a schmuck. I'm not a nobody who's lost in the system, lost in life. And just showing up and, and standing on your porch for three days, you know, yeah. that like no food, no water. You and, know? and they don't have to say anything to them because if they're all a part of Edward's brain, if they're all part of Tyler Durden's brain, then of course they don't have to say anything. Of course they would show up and be willing and do that. And the, you know, the whole entire uh, introduction into Project Mayhem and the induction sequence doesn't work in real life, but yeah. it makes complete sense in his I, mind. I, I think when people get, and I'll leave it at this real quick before you end it, is that I think that when people get terminally ill, and I, I used to be a caregiver, and so I've seen some very fascinating moments that are, I wouldn't consider lucid right before someone has died from cancer or Alzheimer's or something like that. Their sense of reality shifts almost entirely at times. Some of them are very aware, and it's kind of scary. Like, I've had people say that they're dead daughter is going to come see them tomorrow and then they'll, then they'll be leaving this place. And then like at 2 a.m. that person passes out and they don't wake up. And the last person who was on that shift said, yeah, they, they, they said when I was changing them over to don't worry about it because their daughter would be here soon. And that's two people who don't work together having the same story. Um, there's a lot of weird things that the brain does when you're terminally ill or chronically ill at times and reality is not always reality it is whatever your brain and possibly the disease influencing your brain makes it yep and it's a very interesting theory because cancer spreads everywhere mm-hmm and the more you start dying, the more you're going to lose your grip and, of reality and, and self-grieve those all, losses. Well, and also just a completely undealt with and suppressed trauma, right? That that new, oh, yeah. like, you know, you just in complete denial from the beginning and then you get a psychotic break and you don't take care of yourself because you don't believe it's real and you're putting it on everybody else and it just spreads and... Of course, there is an entire group of people who don't believe HIV and AIDS exists and they're dying of it. Yeah, I know. Like the brain is a very powerful convincer of things that may or may not be true. You know, what's hilarious is you didn't even hear it because you weren't here for the first 20 minutes of my podcast. I started yeah. this podcast two out two and a half hours ago. <laughs> It's only a 40 – now we're at an hour of recording almost. But yeah. but but two and a half hours ago before anything, I started this podcast by talking about how our brain fucks with what we think reality is. Oh, and yeah. And now we're wrapping full circle and, and yeah. we ended on the point that saying our brain fucks with what we think reality is. And we used a great uh, book and a film – Example, yeah, uh, to kind of nail that home. Thanks for calling me and surprising me with this. Yeah, yeah. Good, good surprise podcast, sir. No problem, man. Thanks for helping me wrap it up. I was floundering. Uh, but we're here. We did it. Another one in the banks. And uh, I'll be, this one's going to come out tonight because I missed my Monday upload. 
because I didn't do one last weekend. So this is taking place for this last one. And then Saturday, I'm going to do another one for y'all because like I said, I'm, tr- I'm going to do one a week. So I'm going to keep on it. I was a little la- slacky because, you know, I'm moving guys. I've got stuff to do. I got to pack my house and move into another house. And it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of time, but yeah, cool stuff coming up. Got to, I'll keep you guys posted. Love y'all. And, uh, Drive like you know each other.